There goes the future of Christ Presbyterian Church. I love it. I just love it. You know those children love coming to church. They really do. You watch them. And uh, I think many times they have far more joy about coming here than we do, than the adults do. Uh, it begins with the donuts. You can't, you know, it really does. But uh, they love the teaching, and they keep coming back. I need to talk to you for a few minutes uh, before we come to the message. For some months, I have been praying about John Sartell in Christ Presbyterian Church. Uh, this comes from the Holy Spirit, from uh, an urging within and, and talking to the Lord about it, I've prayed and prayed and prayed. Uh, I've been here 10 years. It seems like a year that I've been here. Um, when, I, when I came, I made a list of what I thought uh, that the Lord was leading me to address uh, at Christ's prayers. And that list grew uh, over the years. I expected to be here two or three, and it's been ten. Uh, but this fall, early this winter, I've looked at that list and realized that everything that I had written down um, has been accomplished. Uh, I believe the Lord's, but I, I believe that I've accomplished what God brought me here to do, and that's not to my credit. That's his credit. He's done it. Uh, you say, what are you saying? Uh, I'm saying that I've reached the conclusion that it's time that John Sartell stepped aside at Christ Presbyterian. Uh, while we were building this church, building the, the church building here, the, the first phase building, the one we're in right now, uh, I said, that's why the Lord brought me here. And when we've completed it, that will be a good time to step aside. And he just made it plain to me that, no, that's not what he wanted. There needed to be another building built here, a second phase building. And so I accomplished or uh, set about uh, with the session, diaconate, building committee to address that. Uh, it took longer. COVID interrupted, and we, we had about a year and a half, a two-year interruption. Uh, but we have seen the building finally completed. Uh, Christ Presbyterian Church is in a good place, a great place. The deacons would tell you that no one could have dreamed that we would be where we are in terms of uh, finances, in terms of what uh, God has, has given us. Uh, we now have a Sunday school and worship on the Lord's Day. We're growing. Uh, I want to tell you, that I've been serving churches for 50 years. 
And I can tell you that Christ Presbyterian Church has incredible leadership. And I'm not talking about John Sartell. I'm talking about our session. I'm talking about the diaconate. The session is one of the strongest sessions that I've ever seen. Um, if I couldn't preach on Sunday morning, if Tyler could not preach on Sunday morning, you could give Bill Ray 10 minutes notice and he would preach, or Mike 10 minutes notice he would preach. And with Blake, you only have to give him about two minutes. Um, these men know how to lead. And they know how to not just lead in a secular way. They know how to lead God's people. Uh, this church is in good hands. Um, as far as you, you ask, well, what happened, John? Are you upset about something? No, I'm not upset about anything. I'm terribly, terribly happy. Uh, I'm not mad. Uh, I'm thrilled and excited about Christ Presbyterian Church. The only reason I'm stepping down is I know that's what the Lord's calling me to do. Uh, no, I do not know at this point what I will do. I really don't. No, I have no plans to move from 60 Augusta Drive in Oakland. When we moved here, I told Janet that uh, this was this was my last move. And then several years later, she started making noises about having two children and six grandchildren in Knoxville. And I told her one evening, without smiling or without laughter, I said, you and your second husband can move to Knoxville, whether I'm alive or not. But I'm not leaving 60 Augusta Drive. Uh, I don't say that to the Lord because he has a way of... Um, proving that our blessed plans are not his. Uh, I'm trying to answer any questions you have. Uh, but if you have some question that I haven't answered, please ask me. Uh, because what you see is, is what you're going to get. Uh, next Sunday, uh, the session is called a congregational meeting. I'm not leaving next Sunday, but they're called a congregational meeting to uh, approve my resignation. Uh, and then it'll be a short meeting. Uh, we're going to dismiss Sunday school a bit early at 5 after 10. We want to have everybody in here at 1010, and it will be a, a very brief meeting. And then the 1st of February, I will go to our, our 1st of February, yes, I'll go to Presbytery in Hot Springs, uh, and ask Presbytery to approve what you have voted on, already voted on, and ask to be honorably retired. Uh, when you ask me, well, what are you going to do? Uh, I think you know that I'm not going to stop preaching. I'm going to preach somewhere. Uh, I love this church. And you have loved me well. We have been through the, you've, you've walked with me through the saddest times of my life. You've walked with me through the happiest times in my life.
plan on preaching my, it won't be my last sermon here, surely uh, the session might every once in a while invite me to come back and preach. Uh, but uh, this tour, I plan on preaching till February 7th, and that will be the last Sunday that, that, I'll, that I'll preach. I plan on continuing through the end of February. There's things that I... Uh, things I want to do, and I think I can't wrap up until the end of February. As I said, if you have questions, call me. Uh, please don't say, well, what are we going to do now? You know, Sartell's leaving. People, Sartell did not build this church. You know, I, I hope you know that. I keep saying it to you. Whoever stands behind this desk, if you get anything from it, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christ built this church. And I'm stepping down, but Christ never will. He's going to be here. And this church is going to be fine with Tyler, with Kimberly, uh, you know, I'm easy to set aside with Jay. You can set me aside easily, um, but don't give up on those and get behind this staff and just keep building, keep praying, and uh, you're going to see what Christ will do. So after that bit of business, let's get to the, to the good stuff. Let's get to the preaching of God's word. We have been looking at the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. The session, uh, after much study, said that, uh, ruled that with the first day of January, we would be uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper in each of our morning worship services. Whenever we gather to worship on Sunday morning, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And so we set aside the month of January, look at the Lord's Supper, look at the Lord's table, and say, all right, what is this? And why are we going to do this every Sunday? The first Sunday in January, we spoke in terms of the table being a sacrament. Then the next Sunday, that was last Sunday, we talked about the Lord's table being a covenant. You cannot understand the Lord's table. You can't. There's no way to understand the Lord's table apart from those two words, a sacrament and covenant. We're going to talk more about the covenant this morning. We're trying to look at the Lord's table without opening the Westminster Confession and seeing what the Confession of Faith says without using theological terms. At the beginning, I said, I want us to look at the Lord's table like Jesus looks at the Lord's table, like he looked at the Lord's table as he introduced it in the upper room. That's how I want us in, in, in learn to express what it is in our everyday language. I want you to be able to say to your 10-year-old, this is what the Lord's table is. And explain that it's a sacrament in we did that in simple terms the first Sunday. 
Same thing with a covenant. We're going to come back to that now. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you have done and are doing and will continue to do in this place. Oh, Father, now as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would bring the fire of your Holy Spirit and burn your word into our hearts, into our minds. Father John Sartell cannot do that. No one who stands by this desk to do that. Only you can do that. We've experienced it in this room. Time after time after time. As you've been faithful to your promise to meet with your people and teach your people. Father, we're not the same church that we were. We're not the same people we were. We're not the same families we were because of your work in our lives. We pray that you would continue to bless. Bless this morning. Our Father changes. For some of us, it will be a continuing change. But maybe for some of us, it will be the very first time. Oh, Father, change us. Grow us in Christ. We're your children. As Tyler said this morning in Sunday school, we're your children and we're turning to our Father and saying, teach us, Father. Teach us. Tell us a story one more time. In Jesus' name, amen. God, you said it would happen, and yet it has not. We have seen that the Lord's Supper is a sacrament. It's a sacrament. You tell me. It's a sacred event. It's a holy event. It's made sacred, not because we named it sacred. It's named sacred. It's made holy by Christ himself. In the Old Testament, God declared the Passover to be a sacrament. To be a sacred event, a sacred time in the calendar of Israel, a holy time. In the New Testament, Jesus declared the Lord's Supper to be a holy time, a sacred time, fulfilling the Old Testament Passover. They're inextricably entwined in the plan of God, in the mind of God. Christ could not look at this table apart from remembering the Passover. Last week, we saw that the Lord's Supper was also a covenant. The passage that we read with Becky this morning said, a new covenant. How's the Lord's Supper a covenant? It relates all the way back. That's why we were in Genesis 15 last week. 
the, and we began to see this, that the Lord's Supper is inextricably entwined with the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15. God came to Abram. Do you remember? Look at verse 9. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. Now Abraham, we saw last week, knew immediately what God was doing. That's how people made a covenant in, in that oral culture. They didn't have the written documents. But God was making a covenant. We saw last week God, we read it again this morning, as a burning torch, as a flame, as a great fire, God passed through the midst, down the aisle, between those pieces of animals that had been torn apart. And he said, may this happen to me if I don't keep the covenant. If I don't keep this covenant. Now what was strange about that was that usually when such covenants were cut, when they were made, the greater king, the greater governor, the greater business owner would make the lesser king, the lesser governor, the lesser business person walk through between the pieces swearing allegiance to the greater king. Saying, if I don't, great king, great governor, if, if, if I don't keep my allegiance, my covenant of allegiance to you, may this happen to me. But here, in Genesis 15, God, the, the God of the universe, the God who holds the universe in his hand, walked through the pieces. And Abram, the mere vassal, did not. Abram had already proved to be unfaithful. God knew that Abram nor his descendants would be able to keep the covenant. And God, we saw, passed through this piece. And he said, if I don't keep the covenant, may this happen to me. And if Abram, if you don't keep the covenant, may this happen to me. Now Jesus was looking back to that covenant. When he gave, when he introduced the Lord's Supper in the upper room, he was looking back to that covenant in Genesis 15. When he said, this is my body torn for you. This is my body sacrificed for you. This is my blood of what? My blood of the covenant that was shed for you. That's a very brief summary of what, we've, what we saw last week. Now, if you weren't here last week, don't rely on that summary. It's too brief. Go back and listen to it. It will really help you to be able to put this in the everyday language in your own mind and your everyday language as you explain it to someone else. This morning, 
I want us to continue to focus on the Lord's Supper as a covenant. Last week, we only covered that, that the part where God was actually cutting the covenant. We didn't talk about the context of it. Why did God do this? Why did God choose this time to do this? Well, what happened in, read what happened in Genesis 14 before you come to the 15th chapter. As chapter 15 begins, Abram had just returned from rescuing his nephew Lot. Lot had been captured by four kings who had made war on the king of Sodom where Lot lived. And Lot had been carried away, probably been carried away to live a life as a slave. Now, Abram was a great, great man. He was agrarian. He, he, he uh, had so many people working for him. And Abram put together an army and chased after those four kings. He met them on a battlefield, and he won, miraculously won, And he came home with Lot. That had been a dangerous, life-risking venture. That's where chapter 15 begins. And so God comes, it makes sense, doesn't it? God comes to reassure Abram. You've just risked your life. You've just been in great danger. And look what God says to him in in Genesis 15.1. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God told Abram, I'm your shield. What's a shield do? It protects. He said, I am your protector. Don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. Your reward will be beyond imagination. Now, Abram, this is really funny. You know, this is one of the most profound chapters. I hope you're getting this. It's one of the most profound chapters in all of Scripture. It's incredibly deep, incredibly profound. And yet, there's a humor about it in the conversation that takes place. And that's what, that's what I, I love for you to see when we're working through Scripture. And you see that it's not this otherworldly book that, that is just outside the realm of reality. I mean, this is... It's, it's, it's in Scripture. You see everyday conversations. You see situations involving people in deep sin. You see people in trouble. You see families doing battle. It's, it's you know, all of life is there. And, and here, you would have thought, well, when God said, I'm your protector, you would have thought Abraham would have just said, wow, thank you. Thank you for bringing me through that battle. Thank you for bringing me back. I know it was you that did that. It was you that gave me the victory. He didn't say any of that. This is a vision. Let me ad lib a little bit here, but not much. He complained. He said, God, since you're here and we're talking in this vision, you told me some time ago you promised that I would have a child. I don't have a child. Where's the child? Look at verse 3. And Abraham said, Behold, this is God had just said this to him. And Abraham has the nerve and the gall 
to say, after what God said, he has the nerve to say, behold. In other words, you know what the word behold means? It means look. Abraham says, look. Behold. You've given me no offspring. So what does God do? We read in the next verse that God takes him outside. And you're going to, you originally think, you read that, that God takes him outside the tent. And you think he's going to take Abram to the woodshed. And he doesn't. He says, see those stars, Abraham? Now think, I was, I was out walking the other night late, and I was away from the lights. I was on the country road. I was, in, it was, I was away from the lights, and the stars were just magnificent. You could, you could just see. It was incredible. Well, Abraham was an agrarian. He was a farmer, keeper of livestock. The, they didn't have street lights where he was. And he could see this in. And God kind of mocks him. He says, Abraham, count them. Count them. And then he says, count them if you can. Like, you, can, you can't count those stars. And he said, Abram, that. That's what your descendants will be. That's how many descendants you'll have. You can't count them. And what does it say? Right then, you have a landmark verse in Scripture. It ought to be marked in your Bibles already. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteous. He said, I believe you, Lord. And God, that's saving faith right there. That's what that's saying. Paul quotes it in Romans. He believed the Lord and counted him as righteousness. Well, then God uses that situation in this vision to say, by the way, Abraham, Abram, remember I brought you out of the Earl of the, Earl of the Chaldees? He stops talking about his descendants. He said, I, I brought you out of the Earl of the Chaldees to give you this land. Well, Abraham goes right back to his pre-faith doubting. What does Abraham say? He says, I brought you out of the earth of the Chaldees to give you this land. And what does, Abraham, what does Abraham say? He said, Lord God, how am I to know that I'll possess it? In other words, just because you said it doesn't mean it's going to happen. How will I know? Well, that was when God, you can just see the situation. God just throws up his proverbial hands. He says, Abram, go get those animals. Bring that three-year-old heifer, that three-year-old goat, that three-year-old ram. I'm going to cut a covenant with you. And Abraham, Abram, you'll not walk between the pieces because you can't keep your word. You can't keep your covenant. But I'll walk between the pieces. And if I don't keep the covenant, even when you fail, if I don't keep the covenant, may this be done to me. Why would God 
take on the responsibility of Abram's failure so freely? Well, you've got to ask that question. After God walked between the pieces, what happened? And this is where we get down to what we're going to talk about briefly the rest of our time. After Abram walked between the pieces, what happened? When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. That was the Lord himself. On that day, mark this down, mark this down. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, and he brought those two things together to your offspring. I will give this land. I told you I was going to give you offspring. He reiterates that. And then he begins to name down all the different lands that he's going to get specific and said, you want details? Here's the details. Here's the lands that you, your descendants will own. Becky did a magnificent job. She read through that list. Did you get it? All the, all the difficult names. God put those there. He was saying, Abram, you have my word. You had my word about the descendants. You had my word about the lands. But now you've got a covenant. You ought to know that my word is infallible. My word can't be broken. But now you have a covenant. I personally cut a covenant with you to guarantee that this is going to happen. And it's a blood covenant. To confirm his word. To confirm. I have said to you, this is my word. And now I've sealed it with a blood covenant. Now let's fast forward now to the upper room. Jesus, looking, looking at Calvary the next day, looking ahead to Calvary, Jesus said, this is my body, ripped, torn, given for you. This is my blood, shed for you. Eat this bread and drink this wine. Do this in remembrance of me. We've already seen Jesus created a sacrament. Saying, do this, do this. It's a holy time. It's sacred. But what's, what's it? It's sacred, made sacred. But what's it say? It's remembering the cross. It's remembering the sacrifice, the tearing of Christ. Jesus created a covenant, a sacrament, remembering the covenant sacrifice. Jesus did not die on the cross because he failed to keep the covenant. He didn't die on the cross because the Father failed to keep the covenant. He died on the cross 
Because Abraham and David and all of their descendants did not keep the covenant. When God, remember, passed between the torn halves, he was saying, may I be torn to pieces if I don't keep the covenant? May I be torn to pieces if Abram and his clan don't keep the covenant? What was happening on the cross? The covenant keeper. Jesus, the covenant keeper, became the covenant breaker. Say it with me in your minds. He who knew no sin became sin for us on our behalf. The covenant keeper, Jesus, became the covenant breaker. Here's the new covenant. How's it new? It's new that it fulfilled God's covenant with Abram in Genesis 15. Abram, you didn't walk between the pieces. I walked between the pieces and I swore by oath that if you didn't keep the covenant, I would still keep it. This is new in that the covenant breakers, Abram, you, me, were saved by the atoning death of Jesus. Whatever, you know, we're like, we're like Abram. We're like David. Whatever oath or covenant, how many times have we made an oath or covenant, a promise to God of devotion? How many have kept it? There hadn't been an oath we've made to the Lord that we didn't break. And right here, in that upper room, this is laid out for us. In the upper room, Jesus has this conversation again. You can just see it. It's understandable. With Peter. Look at verse 31. Simon, Simon. That's an endearing thing. Simon, behold, Satan has demanded, demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, when you've repented, and actually his, his faith is not going to fail. He's going to fail. But he's going to come back. He's going to repent. And when you've returned, strengthen your brother. How does Peter respond to that? How does Peter respond to God telling him, to Jesus telling him, that Satan's going to get the best of him? Look at what? Look at verse 33. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. He gives Jesus not just his word. He swore an oath that at the cost of prison or death, I will stay with you, Jesus. Really, Peter? Go to prison for me. You'll come and die on that cross with me. He says, Peter. The truth is, you'll deny that you even know me. Not once, not twice. You'll deny that you know me three times before the sun rises tomorrow morning. We're all like Peter. We're all covenant breakers. 
But that did not deter the Son of God from keeping the covenant he had made with Abram in Genesis 15. He was torn apart for Peter's sin the next day. After he had said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. When he said that, that was not an atoning sacrifice. It's not this table that's an atoning sacrifice. Atoning sacrifice took place. It was looking forward to what would happen the next day. Now stick with me. Please stick with me. When Abram said, I don't even have a child yet. How do I know you will keep your word? It's been a while now. When God promised to give him the land and his descendants the land, what did Abram say? How do I know I will possess it? How did God guarantee his word? With a blood oath. May this be done to me if I don't give you a child. May this be done to me if your descendants do not receive this land. Now, Abram could always remember that he not only had God's word, but he had God's oath. He had God's covenant. You see, the covenant... Now listen, say this in your mind. If you've got a pencil, write it down. The covenant declared the absolute truth of God's words to Abram. The covenant was a constant reminder of the certainty of God's word. That's exactly what the new covenant, the Lord's Supper, declares to us. Jesus said, do this and remember, do this remembering me. Repeat the taking of this bread and wine. Keep doing it. It will remind you of the Sermon on the Mount? No. It will remind you that Jesus healed the blind man? No. It will remind you that Jesus brought Lazarus from the grave? No. It will remind you of that cross at Golgotha where the Son of God was torn apart. Keeping the covenant. God will go to this extent to keep his word. That's what it's saying. What does Paul say in his wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians 11? Read it this afternoon. 1 Corinthians 11, in the middle of the chapter. Paul has a paragraph on the Lord's table. And he closes it with these beautiful words. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's sovereignty? No. As long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's teaching? No. As long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Till the day he returns. In essence, you're saying Jesus died for me by oath, by blood covenant. Do you know that 
You know that Jesus will never, ever forsake you? Do you know that? Those are not just Sunday school words. He'll not forsake you. Look on your scripture sheet or look in your Bible at Romans 8.35. Now this is the word of God. This is the word of God. It's not a covenant. It's just the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, and this is the 35th verse of Romans 8. Stay with me. We're almost done. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? I mean, these are bad things. Those people that were reading that, everyone knew someone that had been killed for their faith, probably many people. Go back. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger as sword separate us from the love of Christ? And these people knew what it was to die. They said, all day long we're slaughtered. The church was being slaughtered in that first century. And he says, no. In all of these things, we're more than conquerors. Because we're so strong, because we're so, we're, we have a hold of Christ. And we're strong. And we're alone. That's not what it says. It says, Knowing all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. Notice it doesn't mention our love for him. It mentions his love for us. And then he goes on. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor, any other, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate Christ from my love for him. That's not what it says will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. People, we are not kept. We're not secured by our love for Jesus. We're secured by his love for us. Well, in that same passage, what does Paul point to to promise that? What logic does, to, to what logic does he point to guarantee that? In Romans 8.32, just before that, look at it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all? He points to Calvary. You want to know that if God keeps his word, go to Calvary. You want to know if God loves you, go to Calvary. Things bad, things terrible things happening to you. You're facing bankruptcy. Your marriage is hurting. What, whatever it is. Go to Calvary. Go ask God there, why don't you love me? Try that as he gives his son for you. His son cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Covenant reaffirms the truth of God's word. That's why we're coming to the table after the gospel's preached. Do you know what assures you of the word you heard this morning? That table. That's what that's why we're coming. Abram doubted and wanted assurance, and God cut a covenant to reassure him. He would remember that the rest of his days. You can just see him. That's why we know about it today. 
You can see him when Isaac's born. Isaac, let me tell you how you got here. We were retirement age. And God did his thing. You know, Isaac, I, I doubted him. I doubted his word. I'm sorry to say that. And he cut a covenant with me. Isaac, you know about the covenant, the animal pieces. How many times did God, did Abram say that to Isaac? And you say, wow, I wish I'd been there. I wish I'd been there in the middle of that vision to see that. I wish I'd been there when Abram told the story for the hundredth time to Isaac. Oh, dear friend, dear friend, you have so much more than Abram. You know the rest of the story. Abram knew nothing of Jesus. He knew nothing of the new covenant. He knew nothing of Calvary. He knew nothing of this is my body torn for you. This is my blood shed for you. That's why we're initiating. Think about, think about that. You know the rest of the story that was beyond Abraham, Abram's imagination. So that's why we're initiating the practice of coming to this covenant table every Sunday. The word is preached. We have the word and we have the sacrament. The word is preached. And the sacrament says, it's so true. This is the extent to what? To what this is the extent that God will go. This is the extent that God will go to keep his word. We've heard the word. Now let's come to the table. Our hymn is Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean.